Today on Ag News Daily. Really is interesting is wheat has absolutely exploded. Um, and that that has actually been the leader in typically in grains as a former Chicago Board of Trade floor trader uh, in options and corn and soybeans and wheat. We were, you know, always taught to buy, buy rallies led by soybean meal or corn. Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr here, joined with Delaney Howell on a quite warm Thursday afternoon. I wish it was warmer here, Ashton. I'm once again sitting in my truck recording the podcast today, but I'm sitting in a quiet parking lot, so we shouldn't really have too much background noise. But I tell you what, this morning, I thought it was going to be warm. So I I dressed accordingly, packed my clothes to go to the gym. And then I had some meetings here in Des Moines. And it was snowing when I left this morning at, you know, 530. So I did not bring the appropriate clothes. I mean, it's warmed up a little bit, but definitely not super warm today. Well, it is sunny and 75 here in Lubbock. Mm, Of course it is. Better shape. (laughs) Yes, you certainly are. But actually, while we're speaking about weather, I know you mentioned a little bit about this yesterday, I think, on the podcast, looking at South American weather. And we're seeing a period of enhanced rainfall that has started up across Argentina and southern Brazil, Ashton. It's also starting to heat up down there. Well, it's always pretty warm, I'm sure. But at this point, the Safrina corn plantings will begin immediately following soybean harvest and at almost 83% complete for corn planting, the state of Mato Grosso, Brazil's largest production for corn and soybeans, has seen its lead over the average pace shrink about 18% of the average pace to just 5% ahead of planting pace. So starting to see some extreme wetness in the north, and that could certainly impact crops going in or coming out of the field for South America. Well, Delaney, I have a a piece of global news myself, and this is coming out of Sri Lanka. They had a fertilizer ban, and this was a pretty sudden policy shift that took a lot of farmers by surprise. And it's looking like this fertilizer ban is hurting yields. Farmers are kind of reeling from this. And I thought that this quote from a 65-year-old farmer in Sri Lanka hit pretty hard. He said, I cannot recall any time in the past when we had to struggle so much to get a decent harvest. Last year, we got 60 bags from these two acres, but this time it was just 10. So again, that's a 65-year-old farmer who's been in the fields for quite some time, you know, his whole career, and he's never seen a harvest this bad. And they're saying it's really due to this fertilizer ban. So I don't know if policy is going to take another shift back after these bad yields have been seen now or what will really happen here, but it wasn't great news to read about today. Well, as you talk about fertilizer, Ashton, I know that they're talking about being not able to use fertilizer, but that calls into question whether or not if they were able to use that fertilizer, they'd be able to find it because of course, as tensions continue between Russia and Ukraine, and we already were dealing with fertilizer supply chain and shortage issues, we're going to see some added pressure. The Fertilizer Institute released some remarks on Wednesday saying that they're very concerned about the destabilizing situation that's occurring right now in Ukraine. And because Russia is the second largest producer of ammonia, urea, and potash, and the fifth largest producer of 
processed phosphates, they're saying that it's going to be hard for the United States to find available supplies of these different fertilizer products as about 90% of all fertilizer products are consumed outside of the U.S. And they're saying, of course, that the effects are still largely unknown, but they also pointed out the conflicts will put stress and continued uncertainty on the energy markets. And of course, you need energy to be able to produce nitrogen fertilizers. And Russia is, I know this comes as no big surprise, they're a big supplier, about one third of Europe's natural gas supply. So a lot of conflicting things going on in the marketplace that are certainly indicating the fertilizer supply shortage is largely in store for a while, as well as definitely no um, no decrease in price anytime soon, Ashton. You know, Delaney, I don't know if it's just the way that my brain works, but whenever I think about the fertilizer issue that we're seeing, I haven't really thought about what that means from a food scarcity standpoint. And people are really starting to bring that into question on how this is really going to control what the grocery stores really look like here in the semi near future. And I mean, it is a little scary what could happen. Well, and you, you think about that's such a good point, Ash. And I was just, uh, having lunch today with Rupert Williams, who's also known as Snarkosaurus on Twitter. He's going to be our podcast guest today. And we were just talking about it from the standpoint of, again, what you're saying there with the grocery store shortages that are potentially looming, you know, with Ukraine being such a breadbasket of the world. You know, during COVID, we saw people hoarding toilet paper. Uh, What products are we going to hoard here if we do see this thing continue to play out in Ukraine? And what products will become less available when you go to the grocery store? That is going to be a good question. I'm not saying you need to stock up, but mm, I personally might stick a couple extra loaves of bread in the freezer because you never know, especially with inflation already increasing the cost of the grocery store when this thing will have an impact at the grocery store. Well, Delaney, I want to move things on to really my last piece of news. I have a couple of different articles sharing the same headline here. It's really just following the bird flu story that we've been seeing here. And Iowa has now seen some cases of bird flu come into the state since the first time since 2015. And I think it's important to also note that this is the first case that we've seen west of the Mississippi as well. So really the the eastern portion of the U.S. has been hit, but now we're starting to see more and more of these kind of landlocked states get some more cases. But the Iowa Ag Secretary said that they're working to implement a response plan to protect the health of Iowa's poultry flocks. He said that given the size and the status of this flock as a non-commercial backyard flock, there's no trade or supply chain implications from this detection. That's one thing that I forgot to mention there at the top of this article is that this was just a backyard flock that was hit and nothing that was commercial size. So I guess that's a little bit uh, of a good piece to take away from this is that we're not going to see anything from the supply chain or any supply chain issues come from this. But I mean, the more we talk about it, the more we see these cases really hit our U.S. I say our U.S. producers, really just our U.S. poultry flock. It makes me wonder if we're going to see more commercial producers come down with bird flu. Yeah, and that's certainly a a lingering, looming threat there for bird producers. But here was an unforeseen circumstance I saw today on Twitter that has a lot of farmers upset, Ashton. I don't know if you've seen this, but do you know what a managed pricing program is? I do not, no. 
Okay. Well, that's fair. It's it's a newer tool in the marketplace. Cargill's had one for quite a while now, but it's basically a way to pool bushels together. So as a farmer, you can say, I will commit X number of bushels, 5,000, 10,000, whatever that is. And it gets put into this pool with everyone else's bushels, not physical, just the commitment. And so Cargill had this managed pricing program that they had put together. And of course, we're rooting or recruiting farmers to put bushels and roll bushels into the program. And that would allow them the ability to market all of these bushels, you know, 100,000, 5 million. I don't know what that number was. A large number of bushels. They would be able to market this number of bushels for all farmers. So essentially, they could say, well, we're going to sell 10% of these bushels at $5. We're going to sell another 10% at five ten. And essentially, their thought is that because they have so many bushels to work with and they're selling them at various stages, executing them at various stages, they would be able to theoretically get a larger price for producers because they would get the average of what all of those bushels were sold for. But this was released on Twitter today. I haven't had any news sources to confirm this, but it is a screenshot from a farmer on Twitter, Brent Johnson, who said, in his tweet, due to unforeseen circumstances and extreme market volatility, Cargill is constituting a force majeure event for the Cargill Pro pricing contracts soon to be sub $4 corn. So essentially what he's alluding to here, and you can see it in the photo, is that Cargill did not do a very good job marketing grain. And I don't know if it's for the 20. It's for the 2022 crop. It does show in this photo. It's for the 2022 crop. They marketed ahead last year or this year. I don't know when the date was. Marketed ahead and sold too soon before things really took off here in the commodity markets. Now they're declaring force majeure. And a lot of farmers, Ashton, that have bushels enrolled in this are very upset because they don't know what's going to happen. And and to be honest, I don't either with the force majeure clause that is in there. We're still doing some digging. And like I said, I... I haven't seen this confirmed by any mainstream news outlets as of yet. This has just been largely what I've read and seen on Twitter as of this morning. But a lot of farmers are very, very unhappy. And Cargill did put out a notice to producers today saying, as a pro-pricing customer, we recognize the trust you've placed in Cargill to help price a portion of your production. However, given the significant volatility with the market, we want to provide additional context this week's pro pricing contract update. As you know, there are two significant independent events creating disruption and threats to our global grain and oil seeds, namely, of course, the historic drought in South America. And then they go on to talk a little bit about the recent Ukrainian conflict, basically using this as a little bit of a cover there, you know what policy. So like I said, just started to see rumors of this trickling through Twitter today, but a lot of unhappy farmers nonetheless, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today, and I know that we have a great interview coming up. Let's just jump right into the markets here. And of course, wheat has really been the big contender that a lot of folks are paying attention to right now. And the March contract today in wheat was up 230 and a half to close at 12.89. The May contract was up 75 cents to close at 11.34. Moving on to corn, the March contract was up 12 and a quarter to close at 71 and a quarter. The May up 22 and three quarters to close at 747 and three quarters. The soybean contract March was up two 
and three quarter cents to close at 16.80 and a quarter. The May closed four and three quarter cents higher at 16.67 and three quarters. Moving right along to the livestock markets, weakness across the screen here as we start out in live cattle. The April contract closed $1.75 lower at $138.35. The June down $1.35 to close at $135.15. In feeder cattle, the March contract down $1.95 to close at $156.35. The April down $2.47.5 close at $160.52.5. In lean hogs, the April contract closed a dollar ten cents down at one oh five twenty. The May down fifty two and a half cents to close at one ten fifty. Closing things out in the milk parlor, our class three dairy milk future showed a bit of strength here. As the April contract was up thirty four cents to close at twenty three thirty nine. The May up forty three cents to close at twenty three fifty. With that, I'm going to kick it to Delaney's conversation for today's interview. Well, last weekend, we had a special cross-promotion episode with the Farm for Profit guys, Ag News Daily, and also the man behind Go Farm Yourself, Rupert Williams, also known as Snarkosaurus on social media. If you haven't listened to that, obviously some things have changed since we talked last week, but I want to talk a little bit about today the markets moving forward, Rupert, because I know you're a trader, you're watching markets every day, and we're at an interesting time right now, for sure, for how do we trade this thing? And you're going to give us a little bit of an update on that. Uh, thanks, Delaney. I'll do the best I can. Um, I think the best way to trade is just go to the bar and pretend like you're not watching <laughs> markets anymore. After four days of this and Sunday night and, and sleepless nights, because a lot of the moves in grains right now are happening overnight, mm -hmm. obviously with the developments and, and the Russia-Ukraine crisis being on the other side of the world, uh, a lot of a lot of updates are coming when we're sleeping. And so it's it's almost like every night you go to sleep, Prices are one place, you go, you know, wake back up and they're somewhere else. So trying to make sense out of all of this uh, has been a challenge. It has. And I think a lot of farmers that I've talked to, I was just at an event yesterday where farmers are like, do we sell old crop? Do we hold old crop? Do we sell new crop? There's just a lot to make out because Ukraine is such an important contributor to the overall supply and demand balance sheet for corn and soybeans, but also just other commodities in general. And I know we mentioned just a little bit of this on the special cross-promoted episode that aired last Friday. Go check it out if you haven't. But for those of our listeners who haven't heard it yet, you have an interesting perspective because your dad worked in the military for quite a few years, and you've talked to him pretty frequently about what's going on there. You know a lot of people in Ukraine. You talk to a lot of folks on Twitter. Just to give us a really quick high-level overview of why this issue matters. Okay. Thanks, Delaney. Well, uh, the quick and dirty is Ukraine is the third largest exporter of corn in the world, and about 70%-ish, with a big-ish, goes onto the world market, right? Given their strategic location on the Black Sea uh, and their fertile soil, I learned that in this mm -hmm. crisis, that they basically have Iowa and Illinois, uh, just like we do, and, and the other I states, Indiana, sorry uh, for those of you out there. But they, 
Russia has been invading from the east. That's more towards the central south of Kiev, the center and above Crimea. And you've seen the Russians push in from the east to the separatist regions and then down into Crimea. And, and one of the things some of my Ukrainians that I was talking to last night, it, it's fairly evident if you see how Russia is advancing now, now that we know more, they're basically trying to build a land bridge of their own occupied territory all the way to Crimea. And will they stop there? I don't know. But that's why there's specific targets in Mariupol, which has fallen in Kharkiv, if I said that right, or Donetsk, et cetera, is why they're so strategic. They're also going after Zelensky, which is a Ukrainian uh, leader. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the goal at this point is to decapitate him and put in a puppet government uh, so Putin can continue uh to hold his hand over that part of the world. Uh, he's a Russian imperialist, so he, you know, views Stalin and people like that as his heroes. But more important, or also beyond the tragedy that's going on and the escalation, I read something today that 90% of Russian troops that, hey, had staged pre-war, just kind of an act of force, uh, are now deployed into Ukraine. Um, so, you know, kind of the la last of their forces, whichever they were holding back for, which I think is probably their their better units are now in Ukraine and they're they're gunning for it. I mean, they're clearly not backing down. The, there were peace talks broke down today. Uh, Zelensky is asking Putin for a face to face meeting. That's the only way this stops. Uh, Russia is pretending like they're going to the peace meetings. But, the you know, I, lear, learning what I've learned from my father and other military experts about Putin, he can't accept anything other than absolute surrender. So. The shelling continues. Uh, they had a water invasion in Odessa or planned and then canceled it. There's all kinds of different reports on why. Uh, I think the Ukrainians were ready for them. For those of you that don't know, Odessa is the lar largest port city in Ukraine, and that's where all, most of their grain that hits the world market comes mm -hmm. from. So they started escalating it earlier this week and started bombing Berdyansk. I think I said that with my Chicago accent, but <laughs> however you say that, I'm still learning how to pronounce these words. But once they started bombing the ports and the infrastructure, then you start seeing, okay, this is a longer-term problem, even if it gets resolved in the next 15 days. Originally, when we had started out, I said last week, my father thinks 20% chance this lasts 15 days, 50% 30 days, and less than 90 or you know, 90% chance it lasts is less than 60. And his, his before all the sanctions was, in order to supply an army over a country that big for that long takes a ton of logistics. And that's where they're going to struggle, especially now that we've seen all these sanctions hit. You see multiple reports of running out of fuel, et cetera. And so that's kind of the situation. It's certainly escalated. And 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 no matter I think Ukraine's kind of winning the media war. But mm -hmm. I think if, if you're a, a realist and understand the firepower of Russia, it's just going to be very difficult to hold them off, at least initially. And so that's why you see markets kind of respond to that. That's kind of been the big effect on on us. If this was happening somewhere else in the world, we probably wouldn't even be paying that close attention. But given how important both of these players are on the world right. markets. So that's really what's going on at a macro level. So now let's talk about it a little bit from a commodity perspective, because obviously, as you're indicating, markets are extremely volatile right now. And I talked to a couple of producers yesterday that are like, I keep having to pay my margin call. And, you know, my banker's not very happy with me. So some farmers are maybe kicking themselves because they're not involved in this market, but it is extremely volatile. I know I firsthand I am involved in this market and I've learned a few things already. But where do we go from here? Well, so that's a great question. We we saw last kind of Thursday, so a week ago, we had this big run up for the beginning of the war and, and 
clearly this is going to escalate and this is not, you know, a show of war games. This is an actual real war and invasion. And you saw soybeans go up to 1750 and corn take off to 740 and, and wheat take, take off with it. And then you saw them all reverse. And one of the reasons I think that was is a lot of this run up pre-war was probably people in the know in Southeast Asia, et cetera, that started front running this thing. Well, it's the old buy the rumor, sell the fact. Mm-hmm. The invasion actually happens finally. The markets react and they sold right into it. And then markets reversed as there was nobody left to buy up at those levels because they move so extreme so fast. And that's one of the things we measure at Go Farm Yourself and Ginger, our AI robot, is trying to figure out when the distance of markets and how far they're moving and what that's what's that saying from a momentum perspective? So markets that are healthy kind of move in a direction very organized, and then they kind of have some big up days and then a few down days. And, and people talk about it from a technical perspective, which was kind of the old way it's done. Um, but momentum in these markets went from extremely positive to extremely negative after that big down day last Thursday and Friday. And then this week, you've seen them continue kind of that upward Yeah, the momentum shifted Yeah, the momentum shifting, and they're working off that negative momentum until late in the day today. Some of that could be rumors of, you know, more peace negotiations. There's headlines flying every five seconds. Mm-hmm. So by the time you listen to this, there'll be a new headline. But what really is interesting is wheat has absolutely exploded. Um, and that that has actually been the leader in Typically in grains as a former Chicago Board of Trade floor trader uh, in options and corn and soybeans and wheat, we were you know always taught to buy, buy rallies led by soybean meal or corn, right? Wheat is not usually the leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I traded in the corn pit or in the wheat pit in 07, 08 uh, when we had that massive upside move in Minneapolis and Kansas City and Evan Dooley Day. The day we went, which is the last, we've had expanded limits like this before, but going tomorrow we'll have a dollar thirty-five, I believe. In wheat, so you could have a two dollar and seventy cent range. I think it's a dollar fifty. Oh, is it a dollar? Yeah, okay. So it's a dollar fifty tomorrow, and that's a three dollar range. Right. And anybody that knows wheat grows out of the ground, and to think about three dollars in a range to your balance sheet or to prices is is you know mind numbing to think about from margin calls, etc. I think what happened this week is Monday kind of started out slow. Everything started to escalate, and what what happened was people. What had happened was. Uh, it sounds like I'm telling my mom a story. Uh, the markets exploded upwards. And a lot of times what happens in, in a scenario like that where markets have gone parabolic is you've got somebody that really needs the product and you've got somebody that really needs to get out. And they're both racing each other to buy it. And so then we stuck at limit up and a lot of people don't like to trade limits. So they wait for it to reopen, go limit up again. And we've now had three days in a row mm-hmm. of limit up moves and wheat. Having been on the other side of these trades a few times, I can tell you, uh, like on the bad side, I can tell you what happens as a trader. All of a sudden, now you got to make margin calls. You, if you have margin in a position, and probably this is some of the listeners out there, you know, the banker's calling you, everybody's calling you, and you say, look, I locked in a sale price that makes money for my operation. Just keep making the margin call. And then what people start doing is they try to get cute, lift the hedge. Market might go a little bit higher, but then when it comes back down, they're not putting the hedge back on. And I've heard that story a number of times. For me, um, Evan Dooley Day happened, and we opened Limit Down that day, and I had to sell futures on the low. I didn't, thankfully. Uh, I was like, well, I'm dead anyway, so let's see what happens. The market started rallying, and then it just hit an air pocket, and you could hear the whole floor go silent. It was like you could hear a pin drop out of 25,000 people. And then we just went, and we're limit up. 
And then a bunch of guys came running back into the pit. They started selling it. And then we started coming off and we closed 60 higher. Well, you didn't really need to go $1.35 lower and $1.35 higher to close 70 higher. And this is when there was a lot more humans involved. Now computers don't read algorithms, which is most of the trade, 90% of the trade. They don't read the market the same way humans do. They don't really care. They're trying to find equilibrium. And that's what we're trying to measure uh, with our Momo index at GFY. But you've seen now wheat has gone so parabolic and you've gotten three days in a row of these limit moves. Well, the guy that has to make a margin call has two choices, blow out even, and he probably can't get out. Today, there was 800 million bushels on the bid in May wheat. 800 that's million. That's crazy. Right? Like, that's that's insane that to think record? about. I mean, I, I mean probably. It's gotta be close, right? Right? I mean, it's up there. I mean, I, I can't think of a day like that. Um, and now you got everybody stuck limit up, and where's it going to trade tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So I think this probably lasts, and this this is just my gut feeling, is it'll probably get really silly on the reopen here at 7 p.m. It'll go up, and that might be the end of it. So if you're sitting on wheat right now and you're taking advantage of this, now might be a good time. I mean, first of all, great trade. I don't know how you held it all the way yeah. to here, but wheat is dragging the other two markets up. So now if we watch the price action, the momentum in beans and corn is actually negative internally, right? So we have like five algorithms and then Ginger who kind of flies over the top like a traffic helicopter. And she's reading all these different speeded algorithms and, and different market internals that we're measuring. So it's not really related to price. It's, rel it's related to what I used to see in the pit where there's a lot of buyers or there's a lot of sellers. You could actually just see that. And so that's kind of how we measure it. But kind of what we've seen, and then you kind of look at the prices and you go, wow, corn really sold off late in the day after being limited up most of the day. Well, I think everything's kind of, wheat is getting so silly that you have to pay attention if you're corn and beans, right? And it's not really from a, I'm going to plant wheat instead of corn. It's just these markets somewhat move together and wheat is mm -hmm. now clearly carrying the other two higher. Yep. And so if that ends, I don't know what that means for, for beans or corn, um, we've talked, we talked last Friday, the thing that concerns me and this, and funds make money too, but funds tend to have a herd mentality when they decide it's over. Yep. They know they're the ones yep. that kind of brought this, this they, speculator. They can move the whole momentum of. A Absolutely. And, and they're so big relative, you know, the, the other side of that trade is the commercial. And so if I hear that a big commercial is allegedly blowing out in wheat today, which is, which is all I can think of on that kind of size is. Okay, well, when they're done blowing it out at whatever price just to get flat, you know, what? where's the actual real market? Who really wants to step in and buy wheat at 13 bucks? Mm -hmm. There's not really that many people that are like, oh, yeah, I need it just for a spec trade. So you saw you saw corn have a nice rally today on top of that. Um, soybeans have continued to disappoint or they've just been lagging. I mean, they've had an incredible run. So I don't want to say it that way. I just want to say be wary mm -hmm. on that. Okay. Um, Rupert, really quickly here as we're wrapping up, you've mentioned Ginger, you've mentioned Momo, go farm yourself. Give us your quick pitch because you use AI technology. You're looking at the momentum. You have these different AI personalities like Ginger, Karen, Dick. What does all of that mean? Okay, so real quick, Jefferson is a... Uh has a degree in theoretical physics. And which Jefferson is, is your... Uh, he's my co-founder. Okay. He's, he's the one that built Ginger. Got it. So he's my machine learning neural networks expert. Uh, I basically took my subject matter expertise and started working with him last May. And we've been working on this for about eight or nine months. 
extensively trying to build algorithms. The first algorithm we built was Karen. Karen could kind of predict price one day out and she started working really well last summer and I thought we had it. And then she stopped listening to everybody and just started being a Karen. My apologies if your name's Karen out there, but it's kind of a funny joke. Well, Jefferson names all these algorithms like CV341 and this is CV342 and they have different characteristics and they measure different things. And I couldn't keep track of them at all. So, and we'd scrap one, we'd try thousands of experiments and get rid of a bunch of them and because we didn't want to keep testing things that weren't adding to the overall picture. So we created Vicky to train Karen. So think of Vicky as like a personal trainer. She's got high energy. She moves really fast. She's, you know, that, 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 that person that has way too many cups of coffee mm-hmm. type of energy, you know, usually they're personal trainers, that kind of thing. So we named her Vicky because I used to know a personal trainer named Vicky. And then we, and then we created Steve, who was kind of like, you know, the, the calm spouse to Karen. And then we created Dick and Dick, D- Dick moves really slow and he doesn't listen to anybody, which is really funny because I was like, wow, this, this actually doesn't work at all. And Jefferson figured out a way to tune these. So think about like a DJ with you, you know, knobs, lots of different knobs, right? Where yeah. he's tuning. And so them. your your goal with GFY is you're tuning all these <laughs> knobs. You're plugging in different data points. You're constantly adjusting because in the end, you want to be able to predict what. I'm trying to get a feel for the markets from a momentum perspective. We believe markets move on momentum now, not price. Momentum is is the real indicator that shows up before price, right? How many times do we have a target price in? It gets there too fast. We cancel, mm-hmm. which is okay, right? I mean. At this point, if you're storing grain, you're a trader just like everybody else. And the problem with it is if you've said no so many times to get the market up to here, when the market turns. And like you're saying saying time. no as in farmers with old crop, they're saying no, <coughs> this bid isn't high enough. They're saying no. Well, it could go higher, right? Mm-hmm. It's, this, it, it's an endless balance as a trader of fear and greed. And when markets are flying like this, it's real easy to get really scared. And then it's real easy to get real greedy. Well, I just held it to here and now we're at $17 in beans. Well, now everybody's saying 20. And I talked to one farmer and he's like, well, I'm always most bullish at the top and most bearish at the bottom. And that's just the nature of humanity. What what Ginger's trying to do is take that emotion out of it. Yep. She's she's like five lanes of traffic, traffic helicopter, reading all these and then picking a path through them to create this MoMA line that then she studies in relation to all the other data points we have. And so that's how she works. She's trying to take the emotion out of decision-making for me so that when I come in and have a, an opinion, if I agree with her, you know, that that then the market makes sense. And if, if I don't agree, then sometimes the market doesn't make sense to me. So that's kind of what we're doing with it. Uh, it's been fascinating to watch into an environment like this where you don't have a backtest for this. Like Geopolitics are not in this. It's mm-hmm. just using numbers. Yep. Rupert, thank you again so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it. And folks, check out Go Farm Yourself at gfy.ag. Thanks again there to Rupert for joining Delaney today to chat about all things markets, all things Russia, Ukraine, really a lot to digest when it comes to those things. And of course, we are still in a bit of unknown on what's going to happen here. So we'll continue to watch this play out. But in the meantime, you can always listen to Ag News Daily wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, I'm going to let the people go.